0: well, the regular season has come to a bitter end, and pit football finishes 7-5. and five. Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast. I'm your host, Corey Cohen. Later in this episode, I'm going to be going through uh, my college football top 10, what I think the playoffs should be. We'll talk pit basketball, definitely talk some pit volleyball, but we have to talk about pit football. The regular season is over. They will have a bowl game. But for the most part, this season is done, and we can talk about it. I'm thinking next week we'll do a full season in review, but for now, we've got to talk about that game on Saturday, Pitt versus Boston College to close out the regular season, and the Panthers lost 26-9. It was, it was bad. It was really bad. It, I can't say it was as bad or as pathetic as the Virginia Tech game, even though that one you were supposed to lose. It was more about the manner in which they lost. But, man, this game was bad. You are supposed to win it. It's home. Yeah, it's a tough game in terms of attendance because people are out of town and all that. I get it. But still, you you have to win that game. And Pitt couldn't get it done. And because of that, they finished the year at 7-5. and five. They lose their last two. And based on what happened this season they really should have had eight wins. Now, I came into the season saying seven and five is the goal, seven and five is the benchmark, and they got there. I get it. But this was as unimpressive a seven and five as you can get, especially based on where they were not even two weeks ago, coming in at seven and three into those last two games where there was a real chance that they could have won both and had a, a really incredible season and been ranked. But... That was just such an ugly way to end the regular season. I said on last week's podcast, I said that that Virginia Tech loss, as ugly as it is, as horrible as it looked, was just one loss, and you can right the ship with a win against Boston College. But you had to get that win. Because if you get that win, you finish 8-4, you finish out the regular season strong, with the victory, things aren't so bad. But to finish it out with another loss, a loss where you look bad, that's just, you cannot do that and that's what happened. And frankly it was a pathetic effort, especially at the beginning. This team coming out of it, they just it, they were not ready to play. The first drive there were two false start penalties, the second drive there was a fumble, the third drive there was a fumble, and the fourth drive when they actually had something going, they got the ball to the 1-yard line and there was a false start which took them off the 1-yard line and they were never they couldn't punch it in. And so There were just so many mistakes. You talk about the false starts. You talk about the turnovers. They killed this team. This ended up being a one-score game. If they fumble the ball once less, then maybe they win that game. And to, to keep fumbling, it was just pathetic. They fumbled. The false starts. Just a lot of mistakes. And a lot of times you can blame the refs, especially on a targeting call, something like that. That wasn't this game. This game was just Pitt not showing up to play. And it killed him. The other thing that killed them was the offense. The offense is a mess. It is an absolute mess, and talked about it last week on the podcast, and now sort of just keep talking about it. I mean, the question is, first, who's to blame? Well, last week, I sort of went down each part of the offense, and said who I think's to blame and where the blame lies. And I said it's part Kenny Pickett, but it's part the offensive line. It's part the running game. It's part the receivers, the tight ends, Mark Whipple, all that. And it is part of all of them. But in this game, I'm going to put it a little bit more on Mark Whipple and the coaching. And less on Kenny Pickett, certainly. The players, I guess, as a whole, there weren't as many drops or anything. Kenny Pickett, though, did not have a bad game. Kenny Pickett, actually, even though it was a loss actually proved to me that that he's a, a pretty good starting quarterback he's not great but he's he's pretty good he can get it done when a play breaks down he finds a way to extend it uh he, he's not making the same mistakes he did last year when every single throw is just a check down he he's able to to do some stuff again he's not excellent but he he's a competent uh wide uh quarterback and i yeah some of it's on him some is but i can't put even a a significant amount of the blame on Kenny Pickett. Uh, I I think Whipple is a large part of it. I think Whipple, at a certain point, when you see all these, you see the mistakes and the lack of discipline, and then you see all these units not really getting better, at a certain point, you just have to put the blame at the top. And in this case, yeah, I, I think that's what it is. The offensive line still cannot block. The running game still can't be established. And the play calling, especially in the red zone, is just bad. It's really bad. It's so conservative. And we saw in, I believe it was like a two-minute drill, and they were able to get the ball down the field. They were able to do some stuff. And then once they get into the red zone, they just freeze up. In fact, I saw a statistic uh, from from David Hale, I believe, a, a good ACC Writer, and he mentioned that of the, the plays the Pitt has run in the, in the opponent's red zone, they've resulted in just 16 touchdowns. 16 times did they get a touchdown, which the only team with a worse rate of red zone touchdowns than Pitt in the Power Five is Rutgers. And you don't even want to be in the same conversation as Rutgers for any category. So when you're talking about the red zone touchdown rate, which for Pitt was 44%. When you're within 20 yards, you've got to score a touchdown more than 44% of the time. You're at Rutgers level. That is atrocious. That's a joke. That's where Rutgers is. And this offense, especially in the red zone. Now, it's not good really at all, but especially in the red zone, it's a huge problem. And really just throughout, they just couldn't get anything going. The run game, it was slightly better this week than, than previously. Vincent Davis did have a touchdown run. He had 45 yards. A.J. Davis had 43. But still, they just couldn't get anything going. And then it's all up to Kenny Pickett, and he can only do so much, especially when the offense doesn't give him much time, and the play calling just isn't that good, especially on, I said red zone, but also on big third downs. They just don't seem to have that that back pocket of play calls that you go to when you absolutely need a first down or you absolutely need a touchdown they just don't seem to have those go to plays and all of those things it creates a huge problem and so the offense it's the the sick part of it is is that we didn't think the offense could get any worse than last season when we saw in the uh, bowl in the ACC championship that they passed the ball, I think, seven times. Can he pick it past seven times? We didn't think it could get worse. Well, if you actually look at it this year, it got worse. Somehow, it got worse. In the 12 games that Pitt has played this year, Pitt has scored one or no touchdowns in half of them. That's atrocious. One or zero touchdowns in half of your games... How on earth can you expect to win more than 7 games? In fact, I have no idea how they even won 7. How do they win 7 games when in half of those games they didn't score more than a single touchdown? I don't know how they did it. I mean, that just goes to show how good the defense was all year. And they didn't have their best game on Saturday, but they were gassed. The offense kept fumbling the ball or just giving it right back to uh, to Boston College. They were gassed. And especially just at the end of the season where the defense has had to lead the way over and over and over again, it it just, it has to come down to the offense. They, they could not get touchdowns. They could not get it done in the red zone, whatever. The offense was not there this season, and it was somehow worse than last year, because at least last year, there was a running game. I think the passing game this year is a little bit better than last year. They certainly relied on it more, but with the amount that the running game dropped off, it dropped off a cliff. And because of that, the offense was worse. If you talk about just offensive touchdowns, last season, Pitt scored 42 of them. This year, Pitt scored 24. And unless you're dyslexic, that is a massive, massive drop-off. And it's it's mind-boggling because not that much changed. Not that much changed. Your running backs changed. That's it. And this was supposed to be a running back core that was deep. That you could go to that, that had a lot of playmakers. Where, okay, they're not Olison and Hall, but you can get it done. Olison and Hall, two really good running backs. They're both in the NFL. Glad to see uh, that they're succeeding. But the fact that those two slashed your touchdowns in about half. Because they had 21 of the 42 last year. So they had half of last year's offensive touchdowns. And they go and those two had 21 themselves, and this year you've got 24, that is abysmal. And again, I I like them a lot. They did a great job. You cannot have that massive drop-off when just two players, when that's the only difference, essentially. And so this offense, somehow, it was even worse than last year didn't think it was possible did not think it was possible under sean watson when you throw the ball seven times in a game that it was possible to get worse but because of how bad the running game got and because the passing game could not make up for it this offense was actually worse and i think last year it was easier to blame especially because it wasn't the offensive coordinator's first year and so it was a very easy decision sean watson he's the guy he tried he failed get rid of him now it's a little bit tougher Because it's not easy to fire a coordinator after just one year. But they might have to think about it. Because I'm not even convinced. I was convinced that Sean Watson was just a bad offensive coordinator. I don't know if I'm convinced that Mark Whipple is. Or if that it was just a bad year. Because I don't know. You can't really know after one season. The problem is, the problem for Pitt, the problem for Pat Narduzzi, is that the only way to tell is doing something this offseason. Either giving him a vote of confidence or finding a new, different offensive coordinator. And either way, there are going to be huge ramifications for this program and for Pat Narduzzi's job security. Huge. Because I think now it's clear to say that Pat Narduzzi is on the hot seat. Now, I don't think that this offseason, you make a change. Unless maybe if Luke Fickle, if you hear it through the grapevine, that he actually wants the job and it's not just posturing and and he would take it maybe then, sure. But outside of that, I I don't think you pet fire Pat Narduzzi after this season. Because again, he, he did meet the goal this year. The goal was to get seven wins, he got seven wins. But it's just, it doesn't feel like he met the goal. I think in part because they had a chance to get eight or nine wins based on what they did earlier. They nearly beat Penn State, they did beat UCF, they finally broke the cur- curse against North Carolina. This is a team that should have at least eight wins and to lose the last two of the season and finish seven and five based on where you were seems pretty unacceptable but still seven and five with this schedule i get it but you've got to go another season you've got to give him one more season to see what he can do because next year the non-conference schedule is bad the only real challenge in the non-conference is notre dame so that gives you a real big opportunity And then in the ACC schedule, your crossover, outside of obviously playing Syracuse every year, your crossover is Florida State, which normally you would think would be an automatic loss, but based on the way that Florida State played this past year and things don't seem to be looking like they're going to turn around next year, there's a decent chance that that that, that can work out as well, that you can get a win against Florida State even down there uh, in Tallahassee. And so things are actually in a pretty good spot for Pitt next year, and I think the reasonable expectation should be at least eight wins, maybe nine. And the thing with with Pat Narduzzi at this point in his tenure, I think next year, if you don't get nine wins, if you don't go nine and three, I think you have to seriously consider a coaching change. Nobody really wants to do that. People want Pat Narduzzi to be the guy. He's he's invested so much, and he's really committed, and he gets people fired up and all that. But at this point, with that schedule next year, nine wins, or you got to really think about it. And certainly, if he gets just six or seven wins next year, I think he's gone. Seven wins may be a little bit tougher a call than six, but if you go six and six or seven and five next year, I really think that's probably it. Because how... With the schedule next year, could you just say no improvement from this year, which wasn't exactly a good year, and certainly worse off than the first couple years where he got eight wins a season? So I think if it's six or seven wins next year, he's probably gone. I think if it's nine wins next year, everyone's happy and things look really good. If it's eight and four, that's where things get a little bit testy. But regardless, he, Pat Narduzzi is now officially on notice. He is on the hot seat. Again, not this offseason. I do not think you should part ways this offseason. You might want to part ways with the offensive coordinator, but again, that's sort of a calculated risk. Is there more of a risk in bringing Mark Whipple back and having things stay stagnant and having another offense like this season? And then you're risking your job because you might go down because of the offense. You might go down because of of Mark Whipple. Or is there more of a risk in having a third offensive coordinator in three years? Would that maybe stunt the growth of Kenny Pickett? Would that's, I'm not there, so I couldn't say how much of it, how much they think making a change at offensive coordinator, what the downsides would be. But it's not that Mark Whipple was so bad that you absolutely have to fire him. It's not like it's been multiple years and you're confident that he is not a good offensive coordinator, that you have to fire him. But it's it might be on the table. And because next year is sort of a make-or-break year for Pat Narduzzi, you can understand why. He doesn't want a bad offense to be the thing that gets him fired. Because the defense has been excellent, and that's his main unit. But it doesn't matter how great the defense is. If the offense is this bad, then they're going to lose games. And if they lose more than three games, there'll be serious questions about if he should be the coach anymore. And so you've got to think about that. I'm not calling for one thing or the other. I'm not saying Whipple should definitely stay. I'm not saying Whipple should definitely go. I am saying Patner Doozy should definitely stay one more year and you see what he does. But now he's on notice. Now he's on the hot seat. Next year is put up or shut up time. He's got to get it done. If he doesn't get it done, then there are serious questions about the future. But I think there's a a good chance for him next year, if they do what they need to do if they win the games they're supposed to win and by the way that Pitt's calling card has always been lose the games you're supposed to win win the games you're supposed to lose it's always been chaotic this year Pitt was for the most part pretty expected they beat UCF in a game they were supposed to lose and they lost to Boston College in a game they were supposed to win after that they pretty much did what they were supposed to do and so if next year they do what they are supposed to do maybe a trade-off here or there You're talking nine wins, and that's where you've got to be if they do what they're supposed to do like they did for the most part this season. But they've got to get it done. And I think Pat Narduzzi knows it. I think he probably feels it that next year is the year. Next year is the opportunity. You've got a senior quarterback. You've got a defense coming back that should be really good, and you've got a favorable schedule. You've got to go nine and three because eight and four or anything worse is going to raise some serious questions. And, and you don't want those questions asked if you're Pat You want to be here long-term. And to do that, I think next year, nine wins, that's the benchmark. And we'll see moving forward into next season how all that goes. But I think now he is officially on the hot seat. Next year is the make-or-break year. Either you have a really good season, and if it's anything less than that, if it's just a decent season, I think there are going to be a lot of people saying that they should find a new head coach and not a ton of people saying that that's a bad idea. So we're going to take a quick break with a word from our sponsors. We'll come back, go through uh, my college football top 10, what I think uh, should be the teams that I think should make the playoff ACC power rankings, basketball, volleyball, you name it right after this break. Okay, we are back. So my uh, top 10 for college football, I've been doing this uh, for a few weeks now. This is the end of the regular season, so I'll have one more week of this. But this is where I'm going to go. And to me, in my mind, the playoffs should be locked up. And I'll explain in just a second. Uh, My number one, I've got LSU. Uh, Number two, I've got Ohio State. They demolished Michigan after sort of a shaky week against Penn State. Number three, I've got Clemson. And number four, I've got Georgia. One loss to South Carolina, it's bad, but they've beat a lot of good teams. Number five, and this is where I differ from the the college football playoff committee. Number five, I've got Florida. Number six, I've got Auburn. Number seven, Oklahoma. Eight, Utah. And then I've got nine, Wisconsin. Ten, Alabama. The reason for that is when you look at their resumes, when you look at their good wins and their bad losses, I think it's without a doubt that Florida and Auburn, have better wins than Oklahoma or Utah have, and they've got better losses than Oklahoma and Utah have. And to me, that's what's really important. Now, I know that's not going to be the ranking that comes out. I know that Florida and Auburn aren't going to be ranked that high. But to be fair, I feel like I deserve a little bit of credit for having Florida and Auburn, especially Auburn, ranked pretty darn high for weeks now, and then they come out and prove it by beating Alabama. That was a huge win for the Tigers. And yes, they're 9-3. and three, But when you look at their three losses, to me, they're against three of the best teams in the country. They're against LSU on the road, Florida on the road, and Georgia at home. How do you hold that against them? I don't get it. And they beat Oregon, who's supposed to be outside of Utah, the, the big dog out in the Pac-12. And I'm not an SEC apologist. I'm far from it. But just looking on the schedule, whether it's in-conference or non-conference, and again, in this case, it was non-conference with Auburn beating Oregon. I think you have to look at that and say, well, Auburn and Florida have better wins because for Florida, they've got the win over Auburn. And again, Auburn has a win over Alabama. And worse, and better losses, excuse me. Florida's only losses were at LSU and versus Georgia. Two playoff teams, at least at the moment. One and four. And so, then you look at Oklahoma and Utah. Oklahoma's loss came against Kansas State. That's ugly. And who do they beat? Who is Oklahoma beaten? that's impressive? They've got three teams that they beat who were ranked at the time. Texas, who they only beat by a touchdown. Texas does not look very good. That's not impressive. Baylor, they barely beat. That was just by a field goal. And I don't think anyone thinks Baylor has been impressive this year. And Oklahoma State. In a big rivalry game, okay, they look pretty good in that. But still, I don't think any of those wins come close to the teams that Florida or Auburn beat. And I don't think that the loss is as good as Florida's or Auburn's, even though there are more of them. And then Utah, it's the same sort of thing. Who have they beaten? They've beaten, I believe, one team. No, excuse me, they haven't beaten anybody in the current top 25. The only team they've played who was in the top 25 at the time was Arizona State, and they lost. And so you don't have any top 25 wins? I'm sorry. The Pac-12, they're just bad this year, and I don't think, unless you go undefeated, I don't think you can say that a one-loss team in a mediocre conference deserves a spot over a two-loss team in a great conference. And again, I'm not an SEC apologist, but the SEC this year was a great conference. And so Georgia, if their only losses, they they do have that one bad loss, But if you're telling me, going into this week, that Georgia is going to be ranked ahead of Utah and Oklahoma, which they will be, that means that something has to happen this upcoming weekend for Oklahoma and Utah to leapfrog Georgia. Something needs to make them more impressive and more worthy of a spot than Georgia. Now, if Georgia loses a close game to LSU... And Utah and Oklahoma go and do their business. Utah beats Oregon, and Oklahoma beats Baylor in their title, in their conference championship games. Can anyone seriously tell me that a win over Oregon or a win over Baylor is more impressive than a close loss against LSU? Now, I know it's all about winning, and everyone says that you got to win the game. I get it. But how on earth, if Georgia loses close? Now, if they get blown out, okay— I would be less likely to defend Georgia. But if they get if they uh, put up a good fight and if they lose to LSU, the best team in the nation, by just a little bit, how on earth can you say that that should then knock them behind Utah and Oklahoma in what are essentially gimme games against decent teams. They're not they're not bad, but they're certainly not all that good. They're certainly not at the level of LSU. So I I think the just the fact of winning and losing, I get it. It's sports, and that's what it's about. But I think you have to use the eye test. One, I think Georgia is just a better team with more talent and playing better than than Utah or Oklahoma. But also, I just don't see how you can reward a team like Utah for beating Oklahoma or a team uh, like, uh, or excuse me, Utah for beating Oregon or Oklahoma for beating Baylor and then go ahead and reward those teams and penalize Georgia for losing to the best team in the nation. Again, if it's close. So we'll see. For me, so even if Georgia loses, if they put up a good game, I have them in the playoff. Now, the downside of that, again, if I were choosing, they sort of have to be four, and LSU sort of has to be one, and then you've just got to rematch uh, a few weeks later in uh, in the semifinal. So that's that's not ideal. And because of that... I think it wouldn't happen. I think if Georgia loses, no matter how close it is, I think they're out and they put either Utah or Oklahoma in. I just don't think they're worthy because I look at their best wins and their best losses. And for both of them, their best wins are just against decent teams and their best losses aren't that excusable. Utah lost to USC. They're an okay team. And Oklahoma lost to Kansas State. Not even really an okay team. And their wins don't make up for it. So for me, I, I've got Georgia almost no matter what in over those two. I don't think it'll happen, but that's my case for it. I just don't see how anyone logically could make a case that beating Baylor or Oregon is more makes you more worthy than losing to LSU. Because these teams at this point don't have a choice in who they're playing. And it just happens to be the case that Georgia's in a tougher conference their championship game is going to be against a powerhouse, and the other two championship games are going to be against okay teams. And I have no doubt in my mind, if Georgia played, by the way, Baylor or Oregon, it would be a bloodbath. And then if Utah or Oklahoma played LSU, it would be a bloodbath. So part of this is eye test, Part of it is resume. I just don't think that the Pac-12 or the Big 12 are worthy of having a one-loss team in without powerful wins or really excusable losses and to me i just don't see a case for either oklahoma or utah i think one of them will probably get in because i think uh, lsu beats georgia i just don't agree with it and then really quick my acc top five for the last time this season clemson number one obviously virginia hats off to them winning the coastal coastal chaos is complete seven winners in seven years it had to happen virginia got it done they're number two Virginia Tech put up a fight. And after uh, how they played the last two weeks, even with the loss against their rival, I'll go Virginia Tech number three. Then I'll go Louisville four and Wake Forest five. Louisville had the win over Wake and Wake sort of finished out on a on a sour note. But really the Coastal finished out on a sour note. Virginia and Virginia Tech, okay. But Pitt obviously lost the last two games to finish it out. Miami, they were looking good. And then they just fell off the face of the earth. First with the loss to... Uh, to FIU, and then they lost to Duke, North Carolina, they pulled it together at the end, but the Coastal really sort of evened out as uh, a lot of parity. I mean, you've got Virginia sort of as the the clear winner, but Virginia Tech just with five wins, Pitt, UNC, Miami all with four wins, Duke with three, Georgia Tech with two. A lot of parity in the Coastal, uh, and because of that, I've only got two teams in the top five. But again, hats off to Virginia for getting it done, beating uh, their heated rival, Virginia Tech, and winning the Coastal. On to basketball. Again, we'll be talking more about this in the coming weeks and moving forward on pit basketball. But just mentioning this past week, they did have the uh, Fort Myers tip-off tournament down in Florida. And it wasn't highly competitive. It was not the the battle for Atlantis. It was not the Maui Invitational. You're you're just going to Florida. You're going to the Tampa Bay area. Okay, it's fine. And the teams aren't great. But Pitt got it done. Pitt won a trophy. Now, it's not a trophy that they're going to want to display necessarily. And it, the, certainly the games weren't good. They weren't attractive to watch. But they got it done. And you have to give them credit for that, because certainly previous pit teams uh, would not have been able to get it done, and even last year, it doesn't seem like that's something that Pitt would have been able to do, but they went down, they beat Kansas State, and they beat Northwestern. They're not world beaters, but they're two power five teams, and you got the wins, and you got a trophy, and for that, you give them credit. The, the one thing that did stand out that I think you can take back with you besides the trophy, is there are two guys on this team that look legit, that look as legit as Xavier Johnson and Trey McGowans did last year. And of course, those two have fallen off a little bit, but we'll see if they can pick it up moving forward. But two guys that really stood out down in Florida, and that's Justin Champagny and Eric Hamilton. Champagny now really for two weeks has looked... Like a really good basketball player. Maybe the best that Pitt has this season. And then Eric Hamilton, as a big, looks like he could go for a double-double. And, he I mean, he did down in Florida. And so, you've got those two guys really stepping it up. If you combine those two, and then if Xavier Johnson and Trey McGowan's put it together like they had last season, and Ryan Murphy is able to hit threes, then you're talking about a real team a team that can maybe have a run at at the NIT. And that's what was expected entering this year. Maybe not necessarily the NIT, but figuring you've got two really good players coming back in Xavier and Trey, and then you'll have a couple good players coming in. And it seems like Champagne and Hamilton are those guys. They've got to keep it up. Xavier and Trey have to get it back. And if they do that, Pitt can be a really good team this year. But for now, they've got that trophy, the the Fort Myers tip-off. But credit to them, seriously, for winning it, for going down there, beating two Power 5 schools, and and getting it done down in Florida. So credit to them. And then before we go, I've got to touch on volleyball. Volleyball, the uh, Sunday night was the selection show for the NCAA tournament, which is beginning. Pitt volleyball got criminally underrated. Criminally. They were... For weeks now, the number two team in the nation based on the coaches' poll. And if you just go on RPI, where Pitt is at a disadvantage because they play in a weaker conference, they were still, they finished at fourth. And ultimately, you need to get a top four spot because the way it works with NCAA volleyball is that the top four will end up hosting what will essentially be the Sweet 16 and Elite 8. The first two rounds are going to be like sub-regionals, and then after that it goes to the top seed, the four number one seeds, and then they'll host, and then the final four goes down to a neutral site, which this year happens to be Pittsburgh. So if Pitt was one of the top four teams, then they would be in Pittsburgh throughout the NCAA tournament, as long as they kept winning. And they should have been a top four team. Absolutely should have. No doubt in my mind. But instead, they got sixth, behind Wisconsin, behind Nebraska. And I think it's ridiculous. Pitt lost one match all season long. It was in five sets to Penn State, one of the top teams in the country. And they beat Penn State on top of that because they had a home-and-home series with them. You compare them to Wisconsin, Pitt fared better against Penn State than Wisconsin did. Pitt fared better against Ohio State than Wisconsin did. So I have no idea. And Wisconsin lost, I believe, six matches. I have no idea how you put a one-loss Pitt team in sixth, in the sixth position, where they'll get the host at the beginning, and if they play Penn State, then that would be huge. But... Ultimately, Pitt should have been top four, and it's just flat-out disrespect from the committee to put two teams above Pitt. Pitt should have been fourth, to put two, or even higher. But to put two teams above them is just blatant disrespect. And I hope, if anything comes out of this, I hope that the Pitt volleyball players use this to put a chip on their shoulder and go out and crush the field and show the committee... It doesn't matter where you seed us, where you rank us. We're going to go out and we're going to win every match that's in front of us because, for the most part, they did that this year, with the exception of a of a touch five set match against Penn State that they lost. They went out and didn't matter who was against them, a really good team, just an okay team, but didn't matter. They went out and they won. And if they keep doing that, they can get an NCAA tournament and they could do it uh, an NCAA championship and they could do it in Pittsburgh. But Just the flat-out disrespect from the committee. I hope this puts a chip on their shoulder and they make a big run. They've got a huge match coming up. The first round is going to be this Friday, December 6th, against Howard. It'll be at Pitt, at the Peterson Events Center. If you are in Pittsburgh, try to make it out there because this team is absolutely worthy of, of your support. I've been mentioning it on the podcast for weeks now, but this is the time when it's really going to count. Those game, there were a lot of some good ACC matches and all that. Pitt found a way to win them. But ultimately, the ACC was locked up a while ago. And they won the ACC before. The thing they have not won is an NCAA championship. And they have a legitimate, a very real chance to do it this year. They can get it done. It's crazy to me, hearing out of my mouth, that Pitt could win a national championship in the year of our Lord 2019. But they could do it. And... They absolutely deserve your support. They need your support. They'll be at the Peterson Event Center. There will be plenty of seats to watch. And they've got to get these wins. They've got a match against Howard on Friday. And then they'll play the... If they win, they'll play the winner of Cincinnati versus VCU. And so this weekend is going to be huge. Again, if you're in Pittsburgh, do what you can to make it. I wish I could be in attendance because Pitt Volleyball, it's really exciting. The players are great. Dan Fisher, the coach... They absolutely deserve it, and now is crunch time. Now is when it really counts. We've been following them all season long. They've had some big victories, but now the games are crucial. So do what you can if you're in Pittsburgh to make it out there because they deserve it, starting Friday in a big match against Howard. And we'll just transition right into Panther of the Week. No doubt about it. It is Pitt Volleyball. Dan Fisher, the head coach. Kayla Lund, uh, Chinaza Day, Lexis Akeo the entire crew, they deserve your support, they are Panther of the Week again, and if you're a Pit fan, you've just got to root for them to keep on winning, because they've got an opportunity to do what no Pit team has done since, I assume, the last Pit football championship, 1976, I don't think any teams won since then, and that would be magical, so now it is crunch time, they they need your support, now is when it absolutely counts, so go out and do what you can. So that is it for this episode of Unscripted. Thank you all so much for listening. Again, you can find this podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast. We're now a member of the SB Nation Network of Podcasts. So you can find us anywhere. Just search for Cardiac Hill. We'll be there. You can rate. You can review. Uh, please subscribe. If you can, then you get the episodes right into your phone or whatever device you use to listen when there's a new episode. So please subscribe, or you could keep listening on cardiac Hill.com. Again, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Corey E Cohen, C O R E Y E C O H E N. Feel free to yell at me about, uh, what I think for the college football playoff or about Pat Narduzzi and how hot his seat should be, but feel free to tweet me. Uh, next week, I'll be doing sort of a, uh, season in review on pit football. We'll Talking, be, we'll be talking a little bit more pit basketball, and if they keep winning, pit volleyball. So stay tuned for that. Until next week, I'm Corey Cohen, signing off from Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill Podcast.